0: Hello and welcome to The Unique CPA with your host, Randy Crabtree. We're committed to creating a thriving community of accounting professionals who are physically and mentally healthy, fulfilled, and energized by their work. Our ultimate goal is to elevate the reputation of the accounting profession and vastly improve the lives of those in it. The Unique CPA is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is John Pace. John is partner and director of outsource accounting and advisory services for GRF CPAs out of the East Coast. Was it Bethesda? Is that where you are, John? Yeah, Bethesda, Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C. All right, just outside of Washington, D.C. Okay, John and I had talked about him being a guest on the show last summer. And then, uh, uh, as I've been stalking him on the Internet, just saw recently that he was named... Uh, by CPA.com as the 22 Digital CPA Innovation Practitioner of the Year, which is pretty cool. I knew a handful of people that were up for that, and when I saw John, i go, that's awesome, and then, and then he won, which is pretty cool. Uh, that award recognizes individuals. Have, this is going to be important because these are some of the things we'll talk about today. That it'll recognize individuals who are driving the accounting profession forward, which I think is huge, uh, through innovative thought leadership, processes, services, technology, and technology implementation. I guess before we uh, go any further, John, welcome to the Unique CPA. Thanks so much, it's, uh, it's great to be here. Always always fun to chat with you. Uh, so looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm, I am too. Uh, I, I got the pleasure of introducing you at an event over the summer, uh, which is always one of my personal highlights. <laughs> I love introducing people. Yeah. And that's when we, you and I, I think, first started talking about uh, this. So first off, Congrats on the award. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much.
1: And uh, it, was, uh, it was an amazing honor. I'm, I'm still not sure I really believe it. But, um, you know, I, I got to give all credit in the world to my team for helping me get there and helping us get there. So it's pretty, pretty much a surreal, surreal time because I was there in person in December to get that award as well.
0: I was actually in Austin at the same time, but I wasn't at the event, although I did walk through the hall. So I did not get to see you get the award, but I did immediately hear about it on uh, Twitter or LinkedIn or somewhere. So You were there in spirit. So. I, I was definitely there in spirit. Uh, so that, that was pretty cool. Let's see. What are there? I don't even know. 1.5 million CPAs in the country, and you're the number one innovative CPA? That's pretty cool. Oh my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> I hadn't
1: really quite thought of it like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So, so you got that. Maybe right? I just have <laughs> a lot of friends. I don't know that voted. <laughs> uh, hey, well, that could be too. You are, you are a likable guy, so I could see that. <laughs> all right, so, so let's uh, jump into a few things. We can go all over because it's so interesting to talk to you, but, but let's jump into a few things. I mentioned first where you're, you're a partner at is GRF out of the uh, uh, DC area. And you know Jackie Cardello, your managing partner, was on this show before, and, and Jackie and I had a great conversation. You seem to be a pretty progressive uh, firm, the way you look at things overall, from uh, DEI just to you know how your corporate culture is. Um, we can go into any subject we want, but first, mm-hmm. I just want to talk about your outsource advisory, or I assume you call it Cast. Do you call it? Uh, uh, C A S C A A S. How do you define client accounting services or advisory services?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, when I'm talking to someone that like it's a quick conversation, it's just easier for me to refer to CAS. You know, um, we call ourselves it's it's a it's a mouthful. I I totally get it. We call ourselves outsourced accounting and advisory services or O A A S. See, I, I almost butchered it. You know, when I told you, <laughs> you know, so. Um, so uh, that's, how, that's how we call it, because, um, you know, we work with a lot of, you know, we've, the industry's talked about advisory for for a long time. Um, you know, t- two of the big niches that we support are nonprofits and government contractors. And I think we found over, at least I feel that over at least my 18 years here and counting that, you know, it, the advisory side has just sort of been built into what we've done from day one, just because of the nature of the compliance heavy. And there's just lots of stuff to
0: figure out for those niches. So um, so we, we wanted to make sure we got that advisory baked into the name. So when you're talking, now this is a new one on me, O-A-A-S. <laughs> Do I have that right? Yeah. All right. yeah. All, right. All right. I like it, though. Yeah. Are we talking just the accounting side, or is tax play into this, or is that a separate unit?
1: Yeah, so for, for GRF, we're, we're we're definitely structured departmentally. So we, we're, you know, full source uh, – full service accounting firms. We've got our audit, um, you know, tax. And and we're so specialized in the nonprofit world, we actually have two tax departments. We have one that deals only with exempt orgs and then your traditional kind of more for profit, you know, individual states, estates and trusts and things, corporations. Um and then you have us and then we also have an awesome uh, risk advisory services. And we also have an accounting technology solutions. So we got uh we've got a lot of bunch of divisions and, and we all kind of we all work together. Um But um, so when I need tax help for our clients, when we need tax help, we reach out to the respective department, whichever one it is. Okay.
0: so advisory in the OAAS is accounting advisory, more financial statement advisory. Yeah, definitely. Got it. Okay. just to to get that. So while we're on this subject, why don't we dig into this further then? Because this is always intriguing to me, Mm -hmm. just how people are integrating. And you guys have been doing it for a while, but. Well, I guess that's the first question then. Yeah. When did this become a separate unit within the firm? Oh, interesting. So when I started
1: in 2005, it was actually already a separate unit, but it was, you know, there's obviously different, you know, some of the technology hadn't come around yet in 2005. And so we were a department, um, this was a little bit before Sarbanes-Oxley and Enron and all that stuff happened, but we were a department that, you know, basically we would do outsourced accounting. So we would go to clients, we would, you know, help them close their books. Quite often it was just sort of end of month as opposed to kind of like ongoing. But we would also do kind of anything else in the firm that the other departments didn't do. Um, So it was almost a jack of all trades, but I call them technology revolutions instead of evolutions. You know, I think to me, it started with QuickBooks, um, you know, the um, accountant's copy file on QuickBooks desktop, and then it was QBO, and then it was bill.com, Each of those revolutions allowed us to kind of take our business up a notch and further develop it. Um, So we've had it all along, but I'd say maybe sometime starting in 2015, 16, it really started to kind of
0: turn. And when did you become the head of this group? So, I became a partner with GRF uh, in
1: 2016 in January, and then I took over as department head in, I think, May, or it was the spring of 2017. So, I, I had one year before, uh, <laughs> I had one year being a partner before I took over. It was fun. And,
0: and when you did, so that sounds like pretty much the evolution of at least this separate entity, more structured. Um, how did you change things when you uh, took over that role?
1: um so I, I think one of the first things that we did was we actually changed the name so like back in those days it used to be called the client services department and i think it was it was kind of funny because we were you know it's a pretty generic name as you can tell we did great work but i remember one time trying to place an ad for someone and the recruiter could have used a little help but basically we got a bunch back a bunch of folks that were like looking to do you know exactly what you'd think you know you know phone calls right customer support and we're like All right, We got to change this name, guys. So (laughs) first thing we did was change the name. Um, I had two great other partners, or Eleanor was almost a partner at that time. But, I mean, we quickly put our heads together. And I think, you know, we started, um, you know, we reached out to CPA.com. I think we became a Sage Intact partner in 2017 and 2018. You know, we made some great hires. Like, so we really invested in building our team. Man, the work just came, you know, Um, so I'm a big believer in like, you know, you get the right people, um, you treat them right, and it shows down to your clients and the work that you do. And it just took
0: off. Nice. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because you just mentioned you got some good hires and good people because that's one of the biggest issues in, you know, profession or in a lot of professions, actually, but our profession yeah. for sure is getting and retaining people. And it sounds like you haven't had that problem. Um, want to explain? why if that is true and uh and i'm guessing it revolves around corporate culture somewhat as well too
1: yeah i mean it is true and we've you know i always knock on wood when i say this um you know we we've sort of we have not had a lot the issues that other firms have had um and you know first of all you have to give credit to the executive leadership of the firm because there's a couple of ways that you can build culture and none of them work if you don't you know if you have other leaders in your firm you know barking at you and saying hey You know, why aren't your people working overtime or why is your utilization at certain or whatever? So but basically, you know, we come from at it from a people first approach. So, um, you know, so a there's a couple parts of that we want to take and retain good clients. We want our clients and I'm very, very frank. I know you're shocked. You know, I have frank (laughs) conversations with prospects. And we tell them from the drop, like, we, we want to be a partner with you. We want to build your success, and we want to build our success. We're not super interested in being a vendor with you. I mean, if you want to pay us a lot to be a vendor, okay, that's fine, whatever. We'll take it, you know. But, you know, we're mostly interested in, in being a partner with you. And, you know, I'm very clear that, like, you know, we'll treat you with respect. That's what we, re- that's what we expect. Um, and honestly, I rarely have to say that, but, um, I think our prospects appreciate it. So that's, that's step one, right? Step one is like making sure your clients know that your people are your most valuable asset. Yep. And especially in the nonprofit industry, they want to hear that, that you care about your people, um, and that you take good care of them because a lot of these nonprofits, that's, that's, that's part of what their mission is, right. you know? So we can ha- immediately have alignment, um, But the other thing too is the thing that's sort of crazy in this, and and our our outsourcing group is part of a traditional CPA firm, right? So that's that's one of the things you hear a lot about. We've had really no struggles with that, Um, and we we hire people. We we basically guarantee them quality of life. We don't necessarily guarantee forty hours a week, but typically we're saying we expect you to work forty to forty-five hours a week. You know, there are times when you might have to step up and help your team. But like, if you start to get piled on, you need to let us know and we'll communicate, you know, let's communicate and let's get it fixed. We don't share staff with other departments, right? So all we do is outsourced accounting and advisory. So we don't, we don't get pulled into auditor tax for busy season. So we're able to offer like a steady eddy sort of 52 weeks a year. We have to stick to our guns on that work-life balance. And that, that is, it. and if you can do that, then what we've found is that our people quote unquote, tell their friends. Right. And they tell their family. We found this great place. And, you know, we've interviewed so many people that have basically said, where's the catch? I don't believe you. <laughs> um, why, why aren't there hours, goals or utilization targets in my offer letter? We don't do that.
0: Right. So what about. So you said, you know, hours, you're trying to stick 40, 45. I mean, I assume is is the seasonality of your group less than like, say, tax or something or you have seasonality? Um. I'd say I don't think we really we have a little bit of
1: seasonality. I mean, January's tough with um extra t- the 1099s, believe it or not. Okay. Which drives me crazy because it's I-, I won't say any further on that. Um but, <laughs> you <can>. you know, <laughs> It's a lot of work for not a lot of value, you know. And right. so um nobody nobody appreciates 1099s. Um, but yet they have to be done, right? right? So um so 1099s, we've we've worked to streamline those processes. It's not perfect, right? But, uh, so ten eight nines is a little like adds a little pressure, but once January comes and gone, that goes that's gone. but then what it's replaced by is you know with a big nonprofit client base, a lot of our clients are audited, so you know we need to make sure that we're buttoned up and ready to go for audit right, and you know we are you know we do a great job month in month out, closing those books solidly, but you know audit time it's always crunch time,
0: right, right, so maybe there's a little more time but but you want to, you stress, which I love the fact that we want this work-life balance. So let's talk more culture then. What do you do? How do you make people feel comfortable? How do people feel comfortable that they can be themselves? You know, what's the core cultural things that you feel you guys work on really well? Yeah, for sure. So, um,
1: you know, I, I think for me, like my own career journey, it took me a long, long time. Even some places open as GRF and it's just like GRF has a great, it is an awesome culture and it always has from day one that I came here. But, you know, I, I think it took me a long time to feel confident in my own skin, you know, um, confident without being cocky. But I think what I've come to realize is it's our responsibility as leaders to create a workplace. Like we gotta be fair to our employees, be fair to we gotta we, we, we have a responsibility, those who are fortunate enough to be in the leadership role have a responsibility to give back to our community. And I'm not just saying that. I, I really do believe it. We have a responsibility to, to give the people that work for us a quality of life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I would never want to go home at night thinking I'm working, you know, working my people to death. You know, it's not what I want to do. But, you know, a key to our success is basically, you know, encouraging authenticity. Be yourself, be who you are, I think you're happier, more adjusted if you can come to work and be yourself. And like, just think about like 15, 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago, people had to hide who they are when they come to work. You know, it doesn't matter if it's hair, clothes, dress, whatever it is. You know, I I just believe that if you can be yourself around your teammates, you're going to be happier. And if you're happier, you know, the clients are happy.
0: Right. So, so I don't know if I asked you this before. Are you, do you know? john garrett uh what's your yeah. hand all right yeah so so john has uh, uh anybody listening to this show knows i talk about john all the time so we're going to mm-hmm. go on another john garrett rant here for a second That's good. but uh, but john has uh statistics obviously he's done his own studies but there's this is i think something where he's done research but it basically says that i think there was a couple things 93 percent of everybody has an outside-of-work passion, which uh, I'm a little concerned about those 7% that don't. But but 93%. So most people do. Most people have something besides work that they love to do. And and also his statistics say, and I think it is like 97% of people who have three close friends at work are happier with their lives. And, and so, if you allow people to share their passions, be themselves at work, like you're saying, you know, not yeah. hide who you were, which probably wasn't that long ago that you did, like you said. Um, and these 97, I might have the number wrong, but it's high right. 90s, um, are more satisfied with their lives, which means obviously they're more satisfied with their work as well. I think that's a, I love that statistic. Yeah. I love being able to allow people to bring themselves to work. You told a story once, and I don't know if you want, uh, I might have this wrong, but you were talking, I think about that, you know, hiding yourself and was there a tattoo involved or was that a story of somebody? What was that? I can't remember.
1: There's a bunch of funny stories there. Um, You know, um, but I, before I get there though, like, I think I I would, I will give you some concrete answers. Like, you know, some of the concrete concrete answers about how you actually create a culture. I think it, you know, it's not a soft, you know, or fake, um, you know, Thing to say that it starts at the top and and we as leaders have to be approachable like if you, if you say one thing but then you're a grumpy person around the office or people are scared of you you're yep. toast they right. don't believe you you yep. know so you need to be someone even if you're the most you think you're the most important partner in the whole firm you need to be approachable by your team so that's that's one concrete way and it's hard it's hard we all get yep. busy right so there's
0: that. So the funny Wait, story. Before we talking- go after that. No, let's go back to that for a second. Then we'll go okay. to the funny story. So okay. you have to be, and I think what you just used the word was approachable. Yeah. Um, so so how do we define that? I So one thing I say, and I think it probably falls in this, I think as a leader too, being vulnerable is one of the biggest things you can do. You know, be yeah. open to share, you know, whatever it is, personal story that you know is going to help somebody. So what do you think? approachability is for a leader.
1: Oh, it's I'm glad you brought that up um because I'm I'm just sort of jotting down a couple of books that I've read um one not so recently and and one recently that are that are not new books but I totally agree with you like being vulnerable um because let's face it like partners executives whatever you are executive director anything you have an aura about you and I am stunned at how many leaders forget what it's like to be a, a newer professional and going into that CEO's office or whatever it is and the fear that you know that you might have as that person, it's it's palpable for sure. So um for a leader to be vulnerable and 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 to kind of like try to break down those walls is so powerful. And I couldn't agree with you more. And like so I really enjoyed the the book The Heart led leader um and also the book by Patrick Lencioni called Getting Naked, which is really about um being vulnerable and, you know, not being afraid to ask dumb questions and, 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 things like that. And, and, and I think that is a huge, when I read that getting naked book and I will totally admit that I should have read it five years ago, but like, I felt like, geez, this is the way that I have sort of modeled my career, you know, um, is right. just trying to be open and vulnerable with people.
0: They, you know, anyway, I think that's awesome. Yeah. So what was the other book? Getting naked and,
1: um, the heart-led leader. I cannot remember who who wrote it, but I'm sure we can find it and drop it in the comments.
0: Yes, to, we can for sure. So, great. so I again, if anybody's ever listened to the show, they've heard me say I don't really read business books. I haven't done it, or even personal sure. growth books, other than John's uh, What You're In, John Garrett's What You're In. I am currently listening to uh, the Infinite, Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Oh, yeah. I'm loving that. I'm That's loving cool. that book. And now it's starting to make me think, okay, reading these business type, you know, books doesn't have to be boring, apparently. <laughs> but,
1: no. And, and it's interesting that you say that because these two books are what they call like business fables or parables. And so they're, they're written, you can blow through. I mean, they're like 250 pages, maybe, or 200. Yeah. You could literally read it in a night or two. It's not a textbook. It's told, you know, in a story. Framework, you know, it's it's told from the both of them are basically like this is this person's fictional experience in a firm. Um, And it's based on real events and it's just been tweaked, of course. Um, And so for anyone that has ever worked in a professional service firm or has any interest whatsoever, it's a super easy read. That's the great part.
0: All right. I'm going to look at those then, too. All right. So then funny story.
1: Yeah, funny story. So like, you know, just talking about the whole professional workplace, you know, um I'm 47 years old. I started who knows. You can do the math when I started at GRF, but like it was still a little bit of the olden days, you know, we had to wear uh we had to wear button-down shirts. We couldn't wear hoodies to work, right? <laughs> we couldn't wear high tops to, work, you know, um so um you, you know, and uh and like you know, it's funny. I got I think I got my first tattoo when I was probably 40 years old, 40 or 41 years old. And it was pretty funny. You know, I, I had my parents in my ear kind of listening to me like, you're never going to get a job, you know, and I'm like, geez, you know, I'm a partner at a CPA firm and a department <laughs> head. I, I think I can get my first tattoo what do you guys think you know uh, so um I, I got them in, on my legs in places that you can't see so I can easily hide them and be a chameleon if I need to um, but it was really funny because like grF would do summer picnics and we could do all kinds of stuff like that right so like I really shied away from like wearing shorts in the summer I would wear like like pants or something because like one of my One of my mentors, David Grayling, who's an awesome partner, former managing partner of GRF, just retired. Um, Like I was like, I thought he was going to be disappointed in me, right? (laughs) Like he was like my dad, and I love him so much, you know. And uh, it was pretty funny. I think it literally took till I'll be honest with you, uh, it. I think it took till last May when we had Uh our uh, we had our first in person retreat after the pandemic, right? And we were at a nice hotel or something with the partners and the managers, and I was like. Forget it, I'm wearing shorts. (laughs) So then I get paraded around a little bit and they're like, hey, look, you know? But it wasn't as bad as I thought, right? Right. Like, there was like, most people are like, oh, okay, whatever. What's the big deal? Right. um, That was a pretty funny story. So I I just sort of like, you know, in my mind, it's fun out of control that I didn't want David, my dad, to see it, you know? Right. My work dad to see it.
0: Your work dad. Yeah.
1: But David, my work dad would not have even cared, I don't think
0: no and it's that goes back to that culture then being yourself being, you know yeah. not hiding the tattoos are part of you not hiding yeah. that and being open it sounds like you guys have that culture yeah other than being paraded around a little yeah <laughs> it was funny it was funny
1: like i got dragged like i think actually eleanor uh, one of our awesome partners in oas she she dragged me over to jackie and she said look you know <laughs> So it's pretty funny.
0: All right. All right. Um, and the other corporate culture, I mean, do you, you guys do, you know, get together as a team. Do you do retreat? You did mention retreats. Yeah. Is there other things you feel adds to that culture?
1: Yeah. I mean, we're, we work on a ton of different fronts. We, we have a DEI initiative. We have um, employee engagement initiatives where um, the employees without partners are there to help kind of change the or not change, but work on the culture of the firm and, and try to make this their firm. Because we really do believe this is their firm, right? And uh, so there's those aspects, you know, from our, you know, we have staff meetings, we have virtual meetings, we try to have fun, we have family picnics, we have holiday parties, we close between Christmas and New Year's. Now we made that official two years in a row. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's awesome. And I can't tell you how much you know, for me, I've always thought that was wasted time during that week. And, you know, people's minds are obviously elsewhere. Let's just close the firm. And, of course, the, the result was obvious and immediate. Our team members absolutely loved it. And, you know, they just – they're super thankful to be a Jira because we do that type of stuff. Um, you know, we do have um, – we're very active users of, like, you know, Zoom and Teams and in the chats that are part of that. And we try to build a – we built a little community around – you know, kind of the, the, the messaging and having a little bit of fun with our, our coworkers, mm-hmm. um, try to create some levity during the day, tr- try to create some laughter, you yeah. know? Um, and it, you know, you know accountants are like, everybody's got a different personality. You've got a big, you got a big range. So some people participate more than others, but I, I think it at least shows our folks that, you know, hey, we're real people. Um, we spend a lot of time with each other and, um, you know, we can laugh.
0: Yeah, it's that, honestly, that week between Christmas and New Year's, I've seen more and more firms, not a ton, but starting to do that. I know Jennifer Wilson, I think, has talked yeah. about that quite a bit. And uh, yeah. I think they do that. But but my wife's work does that. She's not in public accounting, but they do that. Um, but, yeah, like you said, it's wasted time. And, boy, the benefits I'm sure you get from that from the employees is yeah. probably amazing. Totally. One of the other things, because I want to go backwards a little bit, yeah. Because you talked about onboarding clients and having discussions and, you know, this is what we expect and this is how we work with you. And we want to be your, your team member and help you grow and all this. When you don't have the clients that you want, you brought in somebody that's not uh, a complete fit. I assume, you know, maybe you guys do such a great job up front that this doesn't happen, but I assume there is certain clients that you have to say, okay, we're no longer a fit for you. Is that is that a, a common, do you have a, on an annual basis, quarterly basis, do you look at that and, and yeah. see where you need to go?
1: We do. I mean, we look at that two ways. Last year, we actually built it into our, in 2022, I mean, we built it into our partner goals that everybody at least has to evaluate all their clients. Um, every, every department has a different level of workload, and it could be that, you know, certain departments, like, you absolutely have to cut clients, right? It could be the case. You know, we weren't exactly at that point where we we weren't drowning, right, because of, you know, just just because we're differently structured. But, you know, we, we did undertake that analysis. Um, Pretty fortunate that our client mix has been pretty great to us. And, um, you know, but we have a client ranking um, worksheet. Um, We update it regularly and we've taken steps, you know, we, I prefer to be short and sweet, to be honest with you, when, when it comes to it comes to terminating clients, it's like, hey, you know, you don't have to explain a lot. I also learned that from David Grayling. It's the David nice. method, it's just short and sweet. You know, we're no longer a fit and uh we wish you the best of luck and stuff like that. So we definitely do that. Um, and so that's the normal evaluation. You know, obviously my actions start to change and I take quicker action if some you know, if our staff were to come to me in tears and say this client was disrespectful to me. Right. You know, um, we'll have to reach out and kind of figure out, okay, what happened and how do we make sure that it doesn't happen again. And then depending on the severity of the situation, I you know, I might actually have to say I thank goodness I haven't had to say this, but like, you know, I have not had to say Hey, if that happens again, you know that's going to be the end of our relationship. Right. You know, I've not had to do that, but I'm sure it will happen sometime.
0: Yeah, that and that I think that's important because that's goes to the culture too, especially. And it's nice that you haven't had to, but men, your your staff will uh, be so appreciative if there is that person that has brought to tears because of a client's rudeness yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So things you can do like that to show. The people you work with that they're important as you said they're they're the most important part of what you do which is which is awesome yeah another thing that you and i talked about which i think may play into this a little bit there's a couple of things but it sounds like these two go together is you know you as a leader it's important to be working on the business rather than you know um, you know creating this you know environment and, and client base but Tying into that too, because this is a huge subject. I love talking about as well as billable hours. So yeah. let's just talk about working on the business, and then tell us how you you deal with billing. Is there three tiers? Is there billable hours? Is there value? How do you work? Yeah, out? yeah, for sure. So huge um, question. This yeah,
1: huge question. Separate. So um, I actually don't give. We don't give our outsourcing staff billable hour targets. Um, so uh, I, I've always thought that that's my problem. You know, um, if I hire people and I don't have the work for them, that's my problem. I mean, tossing aside any performance issues or something like that, you know, that's another story. But let all things be equal and you've got you've got decent quality staff. um, You know, their utilization and billable hours is a function of what we give them. Um, Yeah, I'm probably simplifying it in in some situations, but uh, but that's what I believe primarily.
0: So then how do you. Is there a fixed fee for each engagement, or how do you set I mean, the fees I mean, we still, they still
1: charge their hours at this point. I mean, I, I think. Right. I mean, I would like to investigate getting rid of the time sheet. I still think we're a couple of years away, maybe two or three years away. Don't quote me on that, but like, I mean, I guess you will quote me on that. But yeah, uh, this
0: is just so you know, other people are going to hear this. This is just you and me. Yeah, <laughs>
1: I, I think we're pretty, I think we're probably a couple of years away. I mean, I, I think we could be. Uh, you know. We, we could be one of the first departments in GRF to do that if there's um, appetite for that. But so, yeah, the, the, the team still uses the timesheets. We still have we bill a lot on a fixed monthly fee. Um, we have some stuff that's hourly um, on a fixed fee. If we have items that are out of scope, I mean, honestly, we just bill that hourly because it's easier I mean, I, we've goofed around a little bit with with saying, OK, well, let, let's do that on a unit basis. So if it's like one extra pay, let, let one extra employee, it's an extra X dollars a month. I found that hard to navigate. But like I know some folks listening may do a great job at that, like unitizing their their services.
0: Um, we haven't done that. Have you looked at uh, or heard of Ron Baker's new book, Time's Up? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, have you, have you, have, do you have a copy? No, I haven't
1: got it yet. Um, but it's funny, I just saw him speak at Digital CPA, and yeah. uh, I, it was, it was pretty funny. I, I, I loved when he was up on that stage, and, and he was talking about subscriptions, and he was talking about waiting in line for that hotel, and I love the feistiness in him because he was like, "Oh yeah, you made oh, me get worked you've wasted my time," and I was like, <laughs> "Yes, this guy is so awesome." You know, um, cause, he, cause he, he expressed what all of us feel in that moment. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, I'm very fortunate to have seen him speak multiple times. He's been yeah. on the podcast at least twice. Um, he was on our, our virtual conference this year. He, he was one of the main speakers there and yeah, I just yeah, love hearing great. him speak and he gets people thinking, he gets people, he, he's a change agent, I guess. Uh, um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then how about you personally running this practice and and working on the business although it sounds like you work in the business as well you you yeah. kind of have what three and a half million dollars of uh, yeah that you work on
1: yeah for sure so um a couple thoughts I have on um it, you know it, it depends a little bit on who you are and what you do but um you know and I know there's different types of partners but for me i've always I've always been skeptical of the concept of minimum billable hour targets for partners. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, uh, um, And I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy in the world, so take it for what it's worth. But at the end of the day, our job is to make the organization better and to get work for other people. I mean, the hours that I work are absolutely irrelevant. Um, My job is to make sure that I'm replaceable. That my team is here and they're ready and, you know, we're good to go. So, and I believe in, like, I mean, we have to run this like a business, but we also have to be, we have to be open to new ideas. We have to be willing to try and fail stuff. And, and to do that, you have to spend time, admin time. If I'm spending all my time, you know, ticking and tying, you know, that, that is a terrible use of my time. Right. Um, and... There was another thing I was going to say, but I think I forgot.
0: <laughs> I got on a tirade there. <laughs> so, I, 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 I get on my soapbox or I rant. So you correct. were doing one of those too. So. Totally. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, oh, the other key thing, that how I manage that book of business. Yeah, it's yes. uh, basically leverage. I, I would be dead without leverage. Like, um, like I, you know, we have a lot of really talented team members and I rely on them. And it's, it, it works. Um, It's a symbiotic, you know, relationship. It works because it allows me to do more, but uh, allows us to grow, but it also empowers them. They feel like they don't have to come to me for every little decision. They know I'm here to help them, but at the end of the day, you know, they can try it. They can do whatever they need to do and it empowers them and it empowers them to get better, to try, they learn. And so the, the cycle just seems to work.
0: That makes sense. Creating the as you said, the sustainable practice. Of, right. You know, you you you're important, but if something were to happen, it can continue on without us. Yeah. You. Yeah. I like that. I like yep. that a lot. All right. Any uh, any final things that we need to that we haven't touched on that you'd like to before I ask you two final questions? Yeah, um
1: I I I think I told you when we talked one time, I you know, I, I try to think about like the approachability thing and what I've come to the conclusion that the fact that when I was like 15 years old or something, my mom dragged my lazy little butt up to the local grocery store and said, give this loser a job. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm pretty sure that was transformational for me. And, you know, uh, you know, a shy little kid from the suburbs being tossed into a grocery store, you know, with a bunch of different people from all backgrounds and stuff. And, you know, I'll just never forget the first day I started and someone said good morning to me. And I, you know, typical shy kid, I didn't know what to say. So I said nothing. And she called me right out, you know, (laughs) you're not going to say good morning to me. And I was like, Oh gosh. So that was, that was one of the first sort of lessons that I got. And it took a long time to kind of sink in, but like, you know, it's like communicating with people, all people, you know, I I feel like working at a grocery store, and I loved every second of that. By the way, I think I feel you? like if I retired tomorrow, I think I would probably walk right up to the local giant grocery store that we have here and be like, "Hey, give, find some place for me to work." You know, yeah.
0: I loved it so nice. So that's what my godfather did. He uh, he retired very early. I think he was mid forties or something, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know, as a retirement job, started working at a grocery store in the uh, vegetable department and loved it. Yeah, I
1: think I would love that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yep. So he definitely did. And he's now uh, been in Florida, retired for many, many years. But, nice. Uh, nice. Yep. Um, all right. So so the two final questions, Um these the last one, we'll talk about contact information. But before that, this is not because uh, I'm a big fan of John Garrett, but I always feel like I'm stealing John Garrett every time I steal, ask this question. <laughs> sure. And I damn you, John Garrett. I t- asked this question before I met you, but I love John. He's great. Yeah. Um, what is your outside of work passion when you're not running the A, wait, O-A-A-S. I can't say it. O-A-A-S no. practice. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, are, what are your passions outside of work?
1: Yeah. So some would say I have too many. Um, yeah.
0: You so can't have too many.
1: <laughs> yeah. A, a couple of things. And, and they sort of come and go, right? Uh, a little bit. Um I'm I'm huge into music. Um, I love guitars. I love guitar amps, specifically electric electric guitars and amps and stuff. I, I love the noise they make. Uh, I wear earplugs to protect my hearing and stuff. But like, I just love feeling the um, crank that guitar amp up and like the the speakers move air and it hits your chest and stuff. Mm. You know, and it's wow. so like that's pretty cool. So I love that stuff. Um, it causes me to buy guitars and amps at an obscene rate. And I, I swear I'm better now, you know, I've, I've gone to rehab with shopping. (laughs) So, so that's one thing, guitars and amps. Um, I love like sort of, uh, winter sports, like the skiing and snowboarding and stuff. It it just like, to me, it it is one of the few things that actually relaxes me is I I, I know y'all can tell I'm super relaxed guy. So, um, being out on the mountain and like, just feeling that, um, I love that. Um, and so I love skiing and snowboarding. I'm mediocre at both. So, um, you know, uh, and, uh, I've also, you know, for a long time, I started playing adult league ice hockey as a, as a, as an adult after college. So wow. I've been doing that for a long time too. So those are some of the stuff that I love to do. I, I have a nearly six year old son who's awesome. So I love spending time with him and stuff like that. So, um, I think that probably covers it. <laughs>
0: Well, you brought up uh, your son, and uh, he has a unique name, if I remember. What's your son's he has name? He does have a
1: unique name. His uh, his name is Wolf. So uh, if that is his middle name. It was it, it was not my idea. It was my wife's idea. Um, his his name is James Wolf, um, and we wanted to give him a cool uh, cool middle name. Um, but his name is pretty cool because his first name James. I think Randy, you may remember this. His, He is named after James Hetfield of the band Metallica, which is my favorite band of all time. Um, Typical CPA, I know. Uh, I know that's what you're (laughs) all thinking, right?
0: So my son is named
1: after James Hetfield, the legendary rhythm guitar player and singer of Metallica. And, you know, Wolf is his middle name. And it's not short for
0: Wolfgang. It's just Wolf. It's Wolf. Yeah. And does he go by James or Wolf?
1: So it's funny. He he mostly goes by Wolf, but when he dresses, he's in a police phase right now. So he dresses up in a police uniform, six years old, and he goes oh, yeah. by Officer James at that point. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's That's awesome. awesome. Dude, so. That's awesome. Well, say hi to Officer James for me. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, he's a character. Uh, yeah. Then that leads to one more question: Is Metallica then your uh, what you're playing on the guitar, or what's Pretty your much. style? Yeah, I I, yeah.
1: I try. Um, you know, I, you know, I don't I don't play as much as I should. You know, I have more time to I, I do more shopping than I do playing, you know, and <laughs> <but yeah, laughs> practicing. But yeah, that's mostly what I'm playing is like like little hodgepodge, like Metallica riffs and other stuff. Um,
0: nice. Yeah, nice. Well, Dan. I'm thrilled we did this. It was awesome. I appreciate all the information that you were able to share. I think uh, people can learn a lot from just uh, um, you know, the culture you guys have, how you look at the business and, and, and how you built this uh, uh, nice outsourcing. O-A-A-S. You got I feel it. feel like a mechanic when I say <laughs> it. O-A-A-S, got it, I'll get there. Uh, it'll flow eventually. But again, John, thanks for being on the Unique CPA.
1: Absolutely, thank you, it was a
0: blast. Thank you for joining us today on The Unique CPA. You can find the show notes for today's episode and learn more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting app. And join us next time for more expertise and insights on The Unique CPA. Professionalproductions.net.